Hey, Harlan, how are we doing today? Good. Hey, and let's also give it up for, uh, like Dan said last week, over half of our auditorium is actually right there behind those cameras. And so let's give it up for all those who are joining us online. We're so grateful to have you with us. So the, uh, the Olympics, we got it, we finally got to it a year later, but we finally got another round of the Olympics in and you got to love the, the spirit and the competition and, and you just need that reminder every four years or so that, that badminton really is a pretty active sport. <laughs> you know, who knew that it could get that, that fast and exciting, but um, I learned something about myself this year during the Olympics. I learned that as much as I love all of the competitions and all of the sports. I really love the team competitions more than the independent ones. Now, and I mean no disrespect to like the swimmers, I was a swimmer, a gymnast, and the, the track athletes and field and all that, and all the independent athletes, because I know there's still kind of a, a team aspect to their competing and their training especially. But there's just, for me, there's just something about seeing everyone kind of out in the same jersey competing against another team, kind of coming together as one and locking arms and teaming up. And in fact, you just take some of the, some of the great Olympic movies of all times, and there's not that many of them, but you know, like, like this one, I mean, probably one of the best movies of all time, I think. <laughs> that, that movie's like 30 years old now. Holy cow. Uh, but yeah, cool runnings, if you've never seen it, just the, just the story, the awesome story of these Jamaican uh, sprinters who didn't qualify for the Olympics, and so they, they, they come together as Jamaica's first Olympic bobsled team. And they were independent athletes, and then they come together as one, and they kind of, you know, surprise and stun the world. But actually, my, probably my favorite, one of my favorite movies, definitely kind of favorite Olympic movie, is the movie Miracle. Anyone, the hockey movie Miracle? Yeah. 1980, you probably, maybe you were around and saw the, the actual event of the United States hockey team uh, competing against and taking the gold medal from Russia and just stunning the world uh, through that uh, that whole, uh, the whole Olympic season and, and beating Russia like that. But really, what I think is really amazing is not just that the U.S. beat a powerhouse like Russia and got the gold medal. It's the story of all of the things that that U.S. team overcame to get there. That, that these guys came together. They overcame just their unfamiliarity with each other and their different playing styles and overcome, you know, overcome, overcame getting to know a new coach overcoming their animosity toward one another, overcoming their egos, overcoming their, their independence, their competition, to become one, to come together. And because they did, they were able to demonstrate something amazing to the entire world who was watching them as they then took the gold medal from Russia. And what they learned and what they teach us through that is something so important. It's our big thought for today and it's that together, is better. Everyone, everyone just say that to kind of lock it in. Together is better. Yeah, it's not just true of Olympic athletes, it's also true for us. So as Shibu said, we are in this series, week three of a series called The Ancient Paths, where we're looking, we really believe that the most important thing about any person is your relationship with God. And so everything we do here is to help one another grow in that relationship. And God gives us these, these paths that have been around for a long time to help us take steps in our relationship with God. And so far we've looked at the path of scripture and how scripture is a way that we can get to know God better and move forward in our relationship with him. And, and we've been talking about the path of prayer last week and today we're talking about the path of community. We'll keep talking about lots of different paths on, on the way through this series. 
And the thing is, is, is for some of you, this may be some good introductory material for some of these things, especially if you're newer to church or you're kind of coming back to church or to God. For some of you who may have some experience with these things, this may be a good reminder of, okay, here's how I can kind of leverage some of these things, good things that God gives me in order to see movement in my relationship with him. Or maybe if you have history with some of these things, uh, this series is an opportunity to kind of redeem some of these things, some of these words, these practices that we have so that we can grow in our relationship with God. And, and that could be true today even as we talk about the path of community. And it's an important path for us to talk about because, I mean, our name is Heartland Community Church. It's literally our middle name. And so we better make sure we know what we're talking about and see what role this has to play in our lives and in the life of our church if we're going to be about this, this concept of community. And what do, we, what do we mean by that? And how do we fight for it? And how do, we, how do we go about it? And I would argue, actually, that community is the most ancient path that God gives us. The most ancient path of all of them because it goes all the way back to the beginning of creation on the first pages of Genesis, which means the beginning. It goes all the way back to the first pages of Genesis where we first see community start to happen. And so you probably know the story of Genesis 1, that, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And he made the, 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 the light and the dark and the day and the night, and he separated the sea from the sky. And then there's this pivotal moment, this important detail that the author throws in there, that God steps back and he saw all that he had made. And it tells us that he saw that it was good. Say good. Good, yeah. And it was like a deep good. It wasn't just like fine. It was, it was good. And then the, the creation narrative continues and it says that God created plants and trees of all kinds and he made the stars and the sun and the moon. And again, he steps back and he saw that it was good. And then God filled the sea with creatures and he put the, sky, the skies filled with birds. And again, it tells us that he saw that it was good. And he filled the land after separating the land from the sea. He filled the land with all kinds of animals and some, some who walked and some who jumped and some who crawled along the ground uh, on their bellies. And once again, he stepped back and he folded his arms across his chest and he smiled and he said, that's good. But he wasn't done. Even in the midst of all of the good things, the amazing things that, that he had created, there was still one thing left for him to create, and it was going to be the culmination, the crown of his whole creation. And in that moment, he made a person. The best thing that he says he made in all of creation was a person, someone to walk and to work the earth, to fill it and to steward it. And when God did, and he stepped back and he saw in the midst of this whole good creation, he saw this person that he had created. He said, not good. This is, this is not good. So the, the, the earth was good. The heaven was good. The sun and the stars and the sky, they were all good. The animals and the reptiles and the, the cows, they were good. The sea, the birds, they were good. The plants, but the man, not good. Why? Well, Genesis tells us, it says that it is not good for the man to be alone. It was not good because this person was all by himself. Now, we need to understand a little bit of Hebrew here. So uh, the word good in Hebrew is the word tov. Everyone say that, tov, T-O-V. Tov, there you go. Now you got some Hebrew to impress your friends this week. That's what you wanted. Um, good. And it's, it's not just this, that everything was, was great or fine or anything. The definition of tov has more to do with this is, a, this is working exactly the way that God created it to work. 
So the sun and the moon, they were working the way that God created it to work. The land, the sea, the stars, and the sky, that's the way that God created it to work. But when he looks at the man, what he looks at Adam is that he was not working the way that God created him, that God designed him to work by being by himself. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait, I know this verse. I've heard this verse before. It was at my wedding, right? Or maybe it was in someone's wedding that you, attend, that you attended. And, and you would be right, because at this point in the story, this is when God creates Eve and brings him to Adam. And it says in the verse, it says, it is not good for man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable to him. Now, here's the thing. This verse actually is not about marriage. At least it's not as much about marriage as it is about community and about how we have been made to have relationships with one another. And marriage is definitely, certainly one of those forms of community that we get to experience. But God is not saying here that if you are, if, if you are not married, that you are in some way not good, or you are in some way not working the way that God created you to work. That is clear. Hear me on that, because there are plenty of people in Scripture, Jesus himself, who got to experience all the goodness of how they were created and the goodness of God without marriage. But it is saying that apart from meaningful, personal relationships with other people, then you and I are not working the way that we were created to work. And well, what, about, what about that word helper? You know, it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. That's kind of an interesting choice of words. Is, is God creating Adam an assistant? which might be kind of some of the connotation, or maybe you've heard that taught before. Let me be especially clear. No, Eve was not brought to earth to be Adam's assistant, okay? Um, in fact, that word helper in Hebrew is the word azer, E-Z-E-R. And it's a word that shows up most of the time, all over the Old Testament in Hebrew, but it shows up most of the time in, ref in reference to God. When, when in the Psalms and people are crying out, God, help me, God, be my helper. The Lord is my helper. It's, it's literally a sense of rescuing. It's not assisting. God is not an assistant to anyone, but he, dev he saves the day. He rescues people. And in this sense, God is rescuing Adam through Eve. Eve is coming in, saving the day, rescuing Adam to help him be and to help him work the way that Adam was created to work. That together is better. And that's where we all fit into. This is where it comes into play for you and me, that, that we actually are here watching online, sitting in this room, walking this earth to be helpers to one another in order to experience the kind of community that we were designed for, not to be alone on our own. And in fact, I want to take us back. I think it's about eight, I'm losing track, maybe 18, 19, 20 months or so. And it was just at the kind of beginning stages. Uh, we were just learning this word COVID for the first time, right? And in this season, we were staying in our homes and we were hunkering down and we were doing what I needed to do. We were doing what we needed to do. And we all were going like cabin fever, stir crazy, right? And it was like any time the UPS truck showed up on the driveway, it was just a reminder, okay, the world is still happening, you know, or you would walk through the neighborhood with people and you would see people sitting by the front windows, right? And all of a sudden we started waving at each other. You know, you good? I'm good. We're good. Okay, we're good. You know, I don't know you, but it's good to see that you're there just to be reminded that we all exist, that we're all still in this world together. And it was just a reminder that, that, that we weren't meant to be disconnected from each other. You can't hug someone over a screen or through a window. You can't see the, the, the emotion behind someone's eyes over a screen. And I know for me, I, I learned, I realized, man, I don't, in times of you know, church services and worship, I don't sing as loud 
on our screen as I do when I'm around other people, whether it's in the church or just in my living room with other people there to sing with. We weren't meant to be disconnected from one another. In fact, there was about that time, there was this uh, data that had been coming out from the psychiatrist at NYU. You might have seen it. It was circulating the web social media a lot by Dr. Sue Varma from uh, NYU. Showed up in the New Yorker and she, she shows us some statistics. I want to read these for you. Now, it's not pretty, but it, I, I think it's important for us to recognize uh, what the prolonged effects of being disconnected and alone actually are. And she says that studies show that the health consequences of prolonged loneliness are equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So loneliness can prompt cardiovascular disease and stroke, obesity, or even premature death. It increases the risk of dementia and clinical depression. It increases symptoms like low mood and, and less interest in activities, less pleasure, less guilt, or more guilt, low energy, more concentration problems appetite and weight change, sleeplessness, and slowing down. So here is science basically telling us what Genesis 1 already does, is that it is not good for us to be alone. Now here's the thing, we really didn't need a pandemic to reveal that to us. In fact, we've been lonely long before COVID happened. We've been moving away from other people long before the pandemic hit and the stay-at-home orders went into place. In fact, like 20 years ago, there was a book by a guy named uh, Robert Putnam called Bowling Alone, where he studied and revealed all of the ways that as a society over many decades, the things that we used to do together, we now do by and large on our own, independent of one another, isolated from one another. That, that even the kinds of community and relationships that we experience are at a much shallower and superficial level than they were even, even just a few decades ago. And that that's the trajectory that we've been going on. And just think about community in your own life. What does that look like? How does it happen? Where does it happen? For how long does it happen? You know, I think by and large, I think the community that we experience is kind of happenstance, isn't it? Which means it happens when we happen to be around other people. It happens with the people that we happen to be sitting on the bleachers with at our kids' games, or with the people that we happen to be in the break room with at work or at the bus stop, or it, it's, it happens to be um, at whatever times we find ourselves around other people. And so it only happens when it's convenient for us or when it's comfortable for us, and when it's not those things, then we don't pursue it or we kind of push ourselves away from it. It's just, I think, kind of the way that we've been moving for a while. We all have been, and it's, it means that we are lonelier than ever, more isolated than ever, more segregated and polarized than ever, and our, the community we do experience is kind of shallower than ever. And so God would look at us and he would say, it's not good, it's not tov, it's not what I created you to experience. That together is better. And why? Well, I want to give us a couple things, but they both come out of this other verse in Genesis that explains why together is better from God's perspective. And it comes from this verse that as God created Adam and Eve, it says, let us make humankind in our image. Now, this can be a confusing verse for a number of reasons. For one, it says, let us in our, like, who's God talking about, right? And it's this head scratcher of a concept that we call the Trinity. And every attempt that we come up with to try to explain this fails, 
okay? So I'm not going to be able to cover this today. That's a different path for a different day. Um, But it just means that God is one, but we also know that God is the Father and God is the Son and God is the Holy Spirit. Three separate people living in one relationship as one God. You got it? Yeah, sure. You can explain that to your friends later on. Perfect. Talk about that over lunch. Um, Yeah, so it's this strange concept, but we know that God is one, but God is also in relationship, this meaningful personal relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when God says, let us make humankind in our image, that image that he's referring to is that you and I were made with that same relational wiring, that just as God lives in relationship with himself, we live in relationship with one another. That we need, we were designed, we were created with the image imprinted upon us in order to be wired for relationship with one another, to be together, to eat meals together, to worship together, whether it's here or even online, to worship with other people around you, to search out faith and to follow Jesus together. We need it, we all need it, men and women, young and old, extroverts, introverts. That's not describing whether you need community. It's just the way that you go about community. The differences in how extroverts and introverts invite other people into our lives. Even if you don't like people, you need people. You need them to stay healthy and alive and have the fullest experience and expression of life and God that he created you for. And so you think about that word image and just hold on to it. Because there's a couple things that community gives us a picture of. Have you ever taken a a picture and then you actually look at it? Remember when you had to like develop photos? Like you go to the little stand in the parking lot outside the grocery store and actually like wait two weeks for them to come back to you. Um, Kids, ask your parents about that. Yeah, it's also about the time when telephones had cords. (laughs) And you would have to lock yourself in the bathroom in order to have a private conversation. Um, Yeah, that was was a long time ago, but you would wait for this photo, and then as it would come back, sometimes that picture that you took was just kind of fuzzy, or the lighting was off, you know, or maybe something kind of jumped in the way, and you didn't quite as get as good a picture as what you hoped it would be. Well, community actually gives us one of the best pictures of a couple of things that I want to highlight for us today, crystal clear picture for us. And the first thing is that, that community gives us a better picture of God. So that rather than ourselves, like having a relationship with God, just him and us, better than on our own, being in relationships, meaningful community and relationships with one another gives us a better picture of God. You know, think about this moment when before Eve was created, what I find so remarkable is that Adam had God entirely to himself. There was no other people on the planet. And it was just Adam and God hanging out in the Garden of Eden together. And they could talk about whatever they talked about. They could find each other whenever they wanted to. Just Adam and God all to himself. And yet in that moment is when God spoke up and said, no, this isn't good. I didn't create him to only have a relationship with me on his own. In fact, if you've ever found yourself saying, you know what? Uh, people are hard and I don't, I'm kind of done with them. I don't need church. I don't need people. I just need Jesus. I just, him and me, and we're good. I've said that before. I've been through some of those seasons. Maybe you have too. But Jesus would look at us and go, no, not good. I disagree with you. And it's, it's to, because even Adam had God entirely to himself, and it was not good. And it just tells us that there is something about God or some aspect of God that we cannot experience nearly as clearly or deeply or richly without relationships with other people. 
that we experience God better together than we do alone. But also, not only is community a, a, a better picture of God, community also gives us a better picture of ourselves. And what I mean by that is that community helps us see better, more clearly, who we are and who God has created us to become. So a few weeks ago, before this series, I was teaching, and we were talking about this amazing aspect of Jesus, just that he loves us so much that he welcomes us just the way we are, that we don't have to clean ourselves up, we don't have to check in at church 10 Sundays in a row to receive the love of God, that he loves us so much that he welcomes us with all of our flaws and regrets and blemishes and whatever brokenness might exist inside of us, even if we don't realize there is some. He welcomes us just like that. And praise God, he says. But he also loves us way too much to let us stay that way. And so he invites us into this process of growth and healing and, and transformation. We talked about the kind of transformation that is possible inside every single one of us in our life in Jesus. But the thing is, the way that he does this is through relationships with other people. That he actually uses community that having a relationship with a couple other, five other people that, you, that, you, that you're in rhythmic, regular, deep relationship with, that that is what fosters us to become what he has created us to become. So uh, this summer, um, actually it was probably the spring, I think. Time's flying. Uh, this spring, as I was living here and waiting for my family to show up, several of you were so kind and invited me over for dinner, hang out with the family, and I got to experience a lot of different pockets of community uh, during that season. And one night, I was hanging with some of you in your house, and we were making pizzas. When's the last time you made a pizza? Like, didn't show up in a box, okay? Like, you had to get the ingredients. And you forget how fun that is. You take the dough and you kind of press it out, put it in whatever shape you want, and you get the tomato sauce, you kind of smear it around a little bit, and, I, and then you throw the cheese on there, however much cheese you want. Now, this is my order. Some of you I know do things weird and upside down and kind of put other things in its way. But, and then you take whatever toppings you want, and if it's pepperonis, you can like make a face or write a letter with the pepperonis, right? And you just have a lot of fun with it. And then the final step is that you take those pizzas and, and you put it in the oven so that that pizza can become what it was created to be. See, without the oven, it's just a pile of ingredients. It would not taste very good. But with the oven, with that little bit of heat over a, a small amount of time, that, all of those ingredients come together and become what you created it to be. In the same way, community, relationships with other people are the oven that help us become what God has created us to be. And so we can have all the ingredients. We can have ourselves. We can have scripture. We can have prayer. We can do things like come to church. We can even have people in our lives. But without taking that extra step and turning the, the heat up on that community and staying engaged with it over time, we will never become what God has created us to become. That we will never see the growth and the healing and the transformation and that understanding of God and that understanding of ourselves that he has created us to have. That together is better. And this is, this is one of the things that is just so intriguing and I think awesome about Heartland. So we're bought into community. I mean, it's, it's in our name, I talked about that, but we're so bought in that not only do we want every single person to be able to find and form community in their lives, which I'm gonna talk about in a little bit, but we're so bought in that, that we want to actually experience this kind of community and relationship all the way through our leadership structure. And so if you're newer around here, you may have, you may have heard that we moved from having one singular lone lead pastor 
to now having one team of three lead pastors. And there's, there's no hierarchy. There's, there's no one who's more in charge than the other. That's just three people who are locking arms and making decisions together and doing this in relationship together with one another. And if it sounds strange to you, I, I get it, <laughs> you know? This is not normal. You don't see a lot of companies necessarily being led this way with like kind of co-leaders uh, at the top. In fact, you know, other churches that know us and love us are calling us and like, hey, uh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know? and, uh, and we've actually been watching and learning from other churches who have made this shift. And we've been so intrigued with it and we're just saying, hey, what are you doing? And how is this helping you to be and become more of what God has created you to be and become? And we're hearing stories of this and, and how instead of one person making all of the decisions and, and doing all of the teaching and wearing the, the responsibility of all of the ministries and activities of the church on this one person, that we're able to have multiple people who share that together and are able to experience God together as they lead and humble themselves and trust one another, relying on each other and relying on God. And it all comes back to this picture of God and ourselves. That we believe relationship and humility are so true to who God is that we think it should be true to how we lead his church as well. And so for, for myself and Dan and Craig, this, this kind of lead pastor team, as we come together, it forces us to humble ourselves and identify each other's differences and strengths and gifts and rely on those and welcome those and seek one another's input and advice. And we were all made in God's image, but we're different from one another. And in our differences, Heartland gets a richer experience. This is our hope. That Heartland gets a richer experience of who God is and who he's created us to become. And personally, for me, by being in community with these, with these two other leaders, pastors, I get a richer experience of who God is and who he's created me to become. And to be honest, I couldn't be more grateful for what we get to do, where we get to do it, and who I get to do it with by locking arms with Craig and Dan in this season. And so this allows us to each focus on different areas of the church. If you're kind of wondering, how does, that, how does that shake out? We each focus on different areas of the church. It just helps keep every ministry of the church in the front seat of the car so nothing gets kind of pushed to the back burner. We want to be all about these things. And so for me, as Shabu said, my focus is on community and discipleship. <laughs> Everything we're talking about today. That we don't believe we can be who God has created us to be, become without community and discipleship. And so that's looked a, a lot of different ways over the years at Heartland of how we can help people experience the most complete picture of God in themselves by finding and forming relationships with one another. And if you've been a part of other churches, there's all sorts of ways, Bible studies and small groups and missional communities and mentoring and ways that we can kind of create some structures around relationship. And it would be really easy for me today to say, throw the playbook on the table and say, here it is. Here's our strategy. Here's how we're going at it. And we've got tables in the lobbies. Go find a clipboard, sign up for it. We'll see you next year you know, when we kind of take this adventure, but I'm not doing that today. In fact, I just felt as God was stepping in, I was like, God, I feel like you are bringing me here as I focus in on this area to really take a season and just dream. And say, God, we know, we know what community is supposed to look like. We know why, but we need to really focus in on those things before we come up with the how, you know, that we would hold our methods loosely and we would just make sure that what we're about is helping one another experience community at a deeper and richer level so that we can see you better and understand ourselves better. And so we don't have the, the strategy as much as I just felt like we need, to, we need to know the why. 
And we need to just take a season and just dream. God, give us your imagination for what this could look like and what you could do through this and help us dream well. And as we have, there's a verse that's been on my heart a lot in this season and it comes from Hebrews. And it's a good reminder because in this, this early letter to, to people who were following Jesus way back in the early days of the church, the, the writer says, hey, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. See, even then people, even followers of Christ would kind of push people away. It says, don't give up meeting together, but continue to be together so that you may consider how you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, that you may spur one another on. I think that word is such an important one. It's not a word you see often, but we know that community is something that honestly we need to be spurred toward. We kind of need to be prodded toward and be reminded of and just thinking about, okay, what sets a Jesus first community apart from other communities? Because there's, we could find all sorts of community here in the church, out in the world, in our lives. But what makes this different? What makes this help us experience a picture of God and ourselves better? So I just took the word spur. And I think a Jesus first community is one that does these four things. That one, that this is a community that's safe. What I mean by that is that when you're in a Jesus first community, you don't have to have your act together. You can show up with your questions. You can show up with, with your issues. You can show up just saying, hey, I, 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 any question is on the table when it comes to life and Jesus and, and how do we do this? That it's okay to not be okay and that it's a safe place to be able to grow in. It's also a purposeful community. You see, there's, there's no shortage of purposes that we could have to the communities we're a part of. You know, Bible studies, prayer groups, uh, serving communities, they all have great purposes. But the ultimate purpose above all of them or whatever we call them or however they look like, whether it's two people or 20 people, the ultimate purpose is to make Jesus first, right? To make Jesus first. And so the, what we don't wanna do is just come up with a bunch of things, but we're not making Jesus first in those communities. And then also urgent. And the community doesn't just happen. That the, 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 the reason that we don't have meaningful community in our lives is not because we don't want it. It's not because we're too busy. The reason we don't have meaningful community in our lives is because we haven't made it an urgent part of our lives. We haven't recognized that this is the only way that we're going to experience God at that deep, rich level that we want to. And so we need to have some urgency for this and, and fight for it and stay committed to it with one another. But then also because Jesus' first community is safe and purposeful and urgent, well, then it can be real. That this is a real community where real people can come together and experience a real God and get to experience real growth and change. Now, imagine what would happen in your life if you could be a part of a community of people that experience those four things, that the safety, the purposefulness, the, the urgency, and, and the real nature of people doing life together. That's why as a church, we have so latched onto these words as our heartbeat that we exist to make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. That's, that's our mission statement. That's the dreaming that's already been done to this place. We said, God, at the end of the day, what we don't want to get wrong is this, that every single thing that we do when we talk about it in every single ministry and area, corner of our church, every meeting would be filtered by those words that we exist to make space for building relationships to make Jesus first. We don't just want to host a bunch of Bible studies. We don't want to just go out there and roll up our sleeves and serve our community. As great as those things are, we want those things 
to accomplish you becoming first in our lives in every area of our life all over the world. Imagine what can happen in your life, the kind of growth and change and support and friendships and camaraderie that could happen in your life with that kind of community. Now, even as I say that, some of you have had experiences with community, haven't you? And maybe it started out great. Maybe it didn't. Maybe it turned south real quick. <laughs> We've been reading a book, actually, as all of our, our staff, our board, um, our pastoral elders, about, about 50 of you all who are leaders within our church. We've been reading this book that starts out with this premise that community is the most overpromised and underdelivered aspect of churches today. It's by Ruth Haley Barton, phenomenal author and guide for us. Does that, does that sound true a little bit? That we're great at church at, at promising community and saying, jump into this small group and your life will never be the same. Only to show up and experience the mess of relationships or maybe to lose the steam that you hoped that it would have. And so maybe you've given up on it. The thing is, Jesus knew it was gonna be hard and messy. He told us it was gonna be hard and messy. Most of the New Testament was written to communities where it got hard and messy. And what it's saying, what it's kind of summed up is don't give up. Don't give up on that. Don't push yourself away from one another. Because if I were to say, hey, it's okay to give up on the community that God has called us into, we would be giving up on the way that he has created us to work. That community tomorrow is too late for what God wants to do in us today. And you can do it. And I can do it. We can do it. Even, even without the strategies, so to speak, in place. We can do it. We can take the relationships that God has put in our lives. Maybe there's someone sitting next to you right now. Maybe that's just the start. Maybe it's someone that you're watching with or chatting with online. And we can begin to turn the heat up and make it a little bit more intentional, safe, purposeful, urgent, and real. And we can begin to see Jesus become more and more first in every area of our life. And we can do it because of what Jesus did for you and for me. You see, the night before Jesus went to the cross, he gathered with his disciples. And he said, this is what must happen in order for you to become a picture to the world of who I am. You see, when, when we step into this kind of community, that's when we give a picture to the world of who Jesus is. It's not just about us. This is how we tell the world about Jesus. When we overcome our differences and our disagreements, our messes and our isolation, our independence, our quirks, when we overcome our busyness, when we overcome whatever it is that keeps us from one another, that's when the world gets a picture of Jesus. That's when we become like those Olympic teams who overcame all the things that they overcame to demonstrate something amazing to the world, except we have something so much more amazing to demonstrate. It's the love and the grace of Jesus. It's the life that he wants to have with your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family members. That's what we get to demonstrate when we lock arms and come together and do this together. When we make space in our living rooms, in our dining rooms, in Starbucks, in our break rooms, to build relationships with the helpers, the companions, to, to rescue one another into, into the, the life that Jesus has created you and I to have, to have the richest experience of him, so that we can put him first in every area of our life. What would it look like for you this week to just to begin to turn the heat up on some of those relationships so that you can become more like Jesus? So that you can experience him in the way that he has created you to work. 
And so while Jesus was huddled around his community that last night before he went to the cross, he took the elements and they had, a, they had an experience of community together. And he said, this, this is my body, which was then given for you. I need to go find my elements for a second. He said, this is, this is what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go to a cross and I'm gonna die for you so that you can have communion with me. And because you have communion with me, you can have community with one another. And so here at Heartland, as we celebrate communion, this is something that uh, we do because Jesus told us this is what we do as a family, as a community. We come around one big table together with all of our backgrounds and experiences and differences. And we say, you know what? Jesus is in the middle of this table and we're gonna set our hearts and our lives on, on him. And even if it's your first time at Heartland, if Jesus matters to you, if you want him to be first in your life, we invite you to, to be a part of this together with us. Anyone can celebrate communion here. We just ask that you have a desire for Jesus to be the main and biggest part of your life. And so Jesus took the bread, you can peel off that tricky layer on the top of it. And Jesus said, from now on when you gather and you, and you eat this, do so remembering that I gave my life to make this possible, that I gave my body to make this possible. And then he took the cup. He said, I'm going to pour this out, my blood, my life for you, to demonstrate to you that I've given it up all so that you can have communion with me. And because we have communion with him, we can have community with one another, friends. And it can start today. And so as we go, who's maybe the one or two, three people, maybe you're part of a small group or a Bible study, maybe there's a relationship in your life, where do you start? Let me pray for us as we do so. So Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you just for this reminder that in all of your, your beautiful creativity, you wired us to need one another. That you wired us to need one another different as we may be from one another. And help us not to push one another away. But help us to find opportunities and people that we can that we can step in closer to and we can step up with in the depth of our conversations, that it might just start right there, just asking a good question and giving space to begin to talk about life and you at a deeper level. And in the months ahead, as we begin to dream and continue dreaming about what would you have happen here at Heartland, Lord? How can we be a family, a community where any single person can come in, regardless of their background, and get to experience community, the kind of community that you have in mind? Would you guide our thoughts? Would you be in our plans? And would you help us not to wait or to hold back, but to find those things now, to find those people now? And that no matter what, at the end of every day, every season, every year, Lord, that you would be coming first in our lives, in every area of our life, God. That's our dream. That's our hope. Would you continue to reign above it all? So Jesus, thank you that you invited us into your family together. And it's in your name that we pray.
Hey, as we go, a few things, ways that we can begin to do the how. I realize we haven't talked a lot about the how. It's, it's coming. But there's a few things that we can do. Uh, one is every single week we put some conversation cards out on our social media. Start with those. Start with those and a friend and maybe that you've watched this service with and start talking about those at a little bit deeper level than maybe you're used to. Also, for those who are newer or looking to get more connected around Heartland, we're coming up with some new stuff to help us do that and have easy on-ramps into community. We know the community starts with connection. And so starting the first Sunday in September and then on the first Sunday afterward, and we realize that's Labor Day weekend, we don't care, uh, we're going to have what we call first steps. And that, that's just for anyone who's looking to take their first steps here at Heartland, their first steps with God, the first steps toward connection and community where you can come and for 15 minutes tops, you'll get to hear a little bit more, answer some questions, have some questions answered, meet some of our leaders and other people who are kind of kicking the tires here at Heartland and just get to have a great conversation with someone and find out more about what we put first here at Heartland and what might be here for you. And also we're going to keep leveraging our hub out there in the atrium as ways to help make connections. And so every single Sunday this fall, we're going to have a different kind of common affinity, interest that can help pull us together, help a big church feel small. And it might be a season of life that you're in or a certain area of the city that you live in. Actually, this first one that we're going to do on September 12th is that if you're an educator, if you work in any way with the schools, we would love to kind of host you down there to be able to help you connect with one another because you've got a wild year in front of you. But we also just want to appreciate you for standing in the gap in this season. And then stay tuned for some of the other ways that you can get connected down there at the Hub. And then also this Wednesday, we're gonna dive into what does this look like more specifically during our uh, practicing the path. Paths aren't meant to be talked about, they're meant to be walked on. So how do we practice that? Join us 12 to 12.30 or find it online on demand as we talk about some of the how-tos of ways that you right now can begin to step up community in your life. Hey, everyone, thanks for being here. Thanks for watching online. Have a wonderful and blessed week, and we'll see you next Sunday.